We've seen them on reality TV, enormous families with dozens of children, but their lives are nowhere near picture perfect as they're bowing to male authority, having as many kids as possible, and using subpar learning plans developed by predators. This insidious belief system has still gained a following even throughout its many scandals. This week's episode is The Quiverful Movement. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. I'm in deep. Well, we're going to be discussing one of the topics that gets my blood boiling more than any other topic today. So I told myself before we started recording, I had to give myself a little pep talk and say, you know, you got a lot of hot takes. (laughs) Maybe we maybe they're warm takes because the last thing I want to do is offend someone, but also fundamental Christians. We got some problems. I imagine they wouldn't be allowed to listen to this show. So we speak freely. Yeah. But I mean, you don't have to be a follower to be offended by something. But like I say, everyone can practice whatever they want, in my opinion, until you start to harm others, especially kids. And I feel like this quiverful movement is just problem after problem after problem. And the insidious nature of its development Mm -hmm. is nauseating if you trace it back to its true roots it's rooted in eugenics Mm -hmm. a pure race white supremacy it's been folded and folded and folded into like a nice quilty fluffy thing but if you look down at the bones of it the bones are built on the work of eugenicists who instead of saying let's sterilize people that we don't prefer mentally you know people with mental health issues people with physical disabilities developmental issues instead of just instead of that because overtly that sounds bad positively we think you're a chosen one Mm -hmm. we think you should so it's this pronatalism of like have as many babies as possible uh, people of color in there too oh yes and then um, this is definitely a, a, a white religion was playing one of the videos that it was just like, God has, it was quoting the Bible, quoting scripture normally, you know, whatever. Some people find great solace in it. However, about eh, 10 minutes in, they're like, anyway, and this is how we beat the Muslims. And Paris goes, there it is. Yep. There it is. There it is. It's always, yeah, you dig a little deep and sometimes you don't even have to dig deep at all. It's just like 10 minutes in and you're like, that's what we're, what we're getting at. But It is for many people that first 10 minutes, that lure and that feeling Mm -hmm. of like any cult that we've talked about, there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense that, of course, when you get involved, you don't think you're getting involved with a cult. You think you're getting involved with a group of like-minded people that you're all there to share stories, grow together, learn, Mm -hmm. love. And then as time goes on. Little by little, the the onion gets peeled, and then the true nature of several leaders gets revealed, and so often it's rooted in sexual abuse, misogyny, sexism, racism, 
and it's just gross. It's super yeah. gross, and I think this is super gross. And if you are a follower of this movement, to each their own. I hope, though, that this episode maybe sheds some light. But like Heather said, you're probably not listening to it because uh, we are heathens, I imagine, in the eyes <laughs> of these people. I watched um, one of uh, the seminars. I was like, I'm going to sit through this. And I was like, oh, I started looking around the room. He goes, you might find these in a house that's devoted to the devil. And I was like, well, I wouldn't say I'm devoted to the (laughs) devil. But it was like, there's going to be statues of like Buddha. I was like, got a couple of those. I was like, Satanist imagery. I was like, I mean, is Krampus Satanist? (laughs) You tell me. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to. They're going to kick me out that seminar. But fascinating horrifying to watch yeah for sure well this was voted on by our patrons in the getting into it tier every month they get to vote on an episode they want featured on the main feed and this one out barely we gave them three cults and this one barely uh edged it out so we may have to cover the other one coming up too because several people were like can you just cover all of these because they're all very all are were very interesting and they're all pulled from the database. Shout out to Katie K, who sent in Quiverful, and Courtney B, who sent in Our Father's Story from Netflix. Oh, which will also be when we get to that, that, got some hot takes. Not hot, just got regular takes that that guy can eat shit for the rest of his life. I want to just, I want to punch him in the face at his kid's swim meet. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just do. Just want to. He's gross. Push him He's in the, pool, the grossest. At least. Tommy and I watched it. I said I have to watch this documentary for the show. Full disclosure, it's not your cup of tea. But do you want to watch it? And he's like, Yeah. I was yelling. The amount of times we had to pause it because I was yelling and then missed what was happening. So then we had to back it up. Oof. A hundred percent the same. Paris was like, Oh, I'll go along for the ride. And was just like, Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> Well, this is work, babe. So, yeah, horrifying. Well, we're going to get into all of it in this one. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Rather than a centralized cult with a single leader, Quiverful is a philosophical movement observed primarily among conservative evangelical Christians. The term Quiverful comes from Psalms chapter 127, verses 3 through 5, which read Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Um, I am not a religious person. This is, I'm an atheist. I talk about this often. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not versed in biblical scripture. I don't have them all memorized and stuff. But I do know how the word quiver makes me feel inside and the word quiverful and none of it's good. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Is it his penis? I think the sperms are the arrows and the ding dong is That's the quiver. That's what I think and I guess it is too. The lady's uterus is the bow and arrow that shoots him out. I think, I think. I think the bow is the penis and the arrows are the sperm and yeah his quiver is also the the dong please don't say his quiver <laughs> makes you want to throw up <laughs> makes you so want to throw up cuz the word quiver the verb is gross yeah it's i like, don't like any of it for you. I'm quivering. yeah it's pretty rough uh, uh my husband is 
religious and does i mean he's got he's taken tons of biblical classes he's got parts of the bible memorized stories memorized and it was very fascinating watching all these videos with him because he'd be like that is a complete misinterpretation of that passage he was like this is false like he was just like it'd be like if you read a book that had a quote in it and then you're like well the author is saying that and it's like no, like christy and heather said that blessed are the hair children of the lord and it's like well no we were quoting something you're just taking our words out of context but he isn't like, that what most religion is it's no, all your interpretation of scripture and passages and whatever uh, the Bible, the Quran, the whatever you subscribe to. I mean, none of us, no one that's practicing any religion today was the founder of that religion that wrote those books. It was all, yeah. you know, centuries, thousands of years ago. So it's all interpretation. Mm -hmm. Some interpretation is less problematic than others, but then you get True. groups like this that could be looking at the same scripture and to them it means something totally different than a non-fundamentalist christian who am i to say which one is better or worse i have my opinions mm -hmm. but to them they also think they're right yeah they all think they're right it's you're right and then you'll see throughout quiverful it's uh whatever's the best for the man it's generally yeah the yeah interpretation uh that's a hundred percent true which is one of my problems with this. Yeah. Followers of the movement also cite other verses to support their ideology, including Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And Genesis 1.28. And I, God, blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. The last one was my God voice. <laughs> Well, uh, I like it. He sounds authoritative, but respectful. So I'm struggling with how to like talk honestly about how I feel about all of this without being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Without offending anybody. Well, let me go ahead and lay this ground groundwork, and then I think you can say whatever you want. I just I read a, a book by a theologian who is a conservative Christian theo theologian, actually went to the same college as one of these main people. And she did qualitative research on the Quiverful movement where she that means she went to conferences, found people and then talked to them and then synthesized their answers. She's not a Quiverful follower. And she makes it clear that of the millions and millions of Christians in the world, Quiverfuls represent like 10,000. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that many. It's so small. So I think if you say adherence to this are blank, I think that's valid. And you, it's also kind of, you know, this is a nebulous. There's kind of a Venn diagram, she says, of like the three tenants and they fall in the middle. So I don't think you're speaking broadly of all Christians because like I said, husband, fa friends, family, whatever. In this case, when people manipulate it in this way, it makes everybody look bad. It makes true believers look bad, and it makes the people in it look pretty bad as well. Because you're like, hey, hey, I'm not one of those. It's like atheists are like, let's firebomb a church. You're not <laughs> you're not that. You're not going to go firebomb a church, right? But there are some atheists that do. Statistically, so atheists are the very like few of the ones that do that. It's usually other Christians or other— Correct. Yeah, niche groups. It's like these niche groups. So this is a very niche group. However, it is extremely popular and insidiously— uh, widespread by virtue of we'll kind of get into it of why some families who aren't quiverful are like accidentally getting some of these messaging and people just watching TLC are getting some of these messaging. But all that to say, when you're talking about quiverful people, we know you're not painting with a broad brush that's every single person that goes to church. No, what I was going to say was my issue with these types of verses from the Bible is that they all lead into women's rights and abortion rights. And it's people look to this as 
literal scripture of like, this is why I believe life starts at conception. This is why I believe that women's mm-hmm. only job is to have children, to repopulate. This is why we should be submissive to man. Because You know, so yeah. I think anyone can look at these and draw their, those conclusions. This movement has taken them and they're the tenets of their religion. And this is how you live by. This is how you run your household. This is what you teach your children. And their ultimate plan is if they had their way to create literally God's army of all of these people that believe these things that therefore have control of eventually the world is what they would like, but start small in your city states then you get into politics and Congress and the Supreme Court. I mean, and we're not, this isn't just my opinion. This is what they have said. So you look at it and you're like, they're really trying to rise up and create, like, they're not trying to actively kill people. So it's not a genocide. But like you said, it's more eugenics. Like they want yes. to to make in their eyes what the perfect person, God's perfect creation is, which exactly. to them is... White, blonde hair, blue eyes. Christian. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. No, and I think there's a lot of cherry picking. We'll see. And there's a theologian named Beth Allison Barr that just wrote a book. I cannot recall the name, but I'll link it in the show notes. And she's basically making the argument for feminism in the Bible. And she's saying all these lines that have gotten cherry picked out were like, here's an example of what not to do. And they crop the top part out and they go, here's what to do. And so she's a, a historian and has gone through and kind of made this argument of like, what you're hanging on to is your, it's, it's not even just out of context. It's just a lie. And here are, is proof to the contrary, which I think is fascinating as you see women becoming in these roles of power going, actually I can read, sir. And it doesn't say that. (laughs) And then when they get to that point, they leave. So, yeah. Quiverful followers interpret these verses to mean that having as many children as possible, as young as possible, fulfills God's plan for us. The term was initially popularized in 1990 by authors Rick and Jan Hess in their book, A Full Quiver, Family Planning and the Lordship of Christ. The website Quiverful.com came online in 1995 along with the monthly newsletter, according to Emily Hunter McGowan author of Quivering Families, The Quiverful Movement in Evangelical Theology of the Family. And McGowan is the author I was talking about that did this qualitative kind of on-the-ground research. Why do all these people have to name their books with 38 words? It's so long. Every it's single long book we reference in this is has 20 words in the title. It's bizarre. <laughs> the word count of this episode is higher only because of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Quiverful families are to abstain from all forms of birth control including natural family planning, as it is seen as God's choice when to open and close the womb. It also promotes a strict patriarchal structure, where a wife is to submit unwaveringly to her husband as his perfect helpmate. The third major aspect of Quiverful is homeschooling children. And so that's kind of the, because it isn't like you sign up and you are a Quiverful or you're not, but people can escape it. There's scholars are trying to figure out what the rails are. And it's these three things like patriarchal, Mm -hmm. submit to the dad, homeschool the kids, no birth control whatsoever. Just have them as much as you want to have them. And all of those things, I would draw the conclusion, lead to a huge lack of females having rights within this movement. If you're led to believe that it's God's choice when to open and close your womb, well, you that means you don't really have autonomy over your body. It's up to somebody else if you get pregnant. And obviously, they don't believe in abortion. So if you get pregnant, you're having the kid. 
the patriarchal structure, everything the it goes God, the the dad, the wife and kids. But there's a big old jump between the dad and the wife in that too. <laughs> so again, you're having to submit to your husband. You're not even considered a co-parent. You are they they refer to it as the helpmate or the helpmeet. You are there to support him and what he wants to do, pump out kids take care of the whole mental load and cleaning the house, cooking everything while he works. And then you also have your your other kids help you, which we'll get into why that is its own problem too. Yeah, and you're completely right. Emily Hunter McGowan argued that the women that I spoke to came to this freely. They wanted to be a part of it. Let me have you guess how each of them grew up. In two this quiver- movement. Two quiverfuls, one evangelical fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. So no, they didn't. They weren't taught something else. And then when she talks to them, they're like, this fucking, this, I do it. I love it. But God, I don't know, man. But I have to because this is the way of life, right? This is. Yeah. Right, you right. You feel terrible like, for them. Yeah. I mean, if somebody wants to willingly get into this, they, you know, they didn't grow up like this. They just, for whatever reason, they felt called to this. Okay. It's hard for me, though, to believe that someone willingly went into something when that's all they've known and they've been so sheltered and things have been purposely kept from them to prevent them from breaking off and going a different direction. So you can't really say this is what you want when you haven't been given an alternative to what another thing you may want. That's why I got the respect for the rumspringer, right, where you get to the oh, Amish, yeah. get mm-hmm. to leave and you see what the world's like if you like it. Stay. If you don't like it, come back. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. Man, I'm sure that they has. go why, they go ham on those rumspringas. Seen some documentaries, and wouldn't you? Oh yeah, you've been able to do nothing, and then all of a sudden you're just like unleashed to the world. Yeah, it's oh, like for spring sure. break, Cancun, senior year of high school. You're gonna go ape shit. I'm speaking from experience (laughs) but you see then you'll see you're exactly right as soon as there's any whiff of agency among Mm -hmm. the kids or whatever it's like hell no stop what you're doing yeah for sure several figureheads have emerged to promote this lifestyle and each have developed their own guidelines on how to live it one of the earliest proponents of these tenets is bill gothard born in 1934 to a religious family Gothard went on to obtain a master's in Christian education from Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. The subject of his master's thesis was a youth program focused on seven biblical principles designed to bring adherents closer to God. Gothard began teaching at Wheaton and turned his class into the Campus Teens program in 1961. After undergoing several name changes throughout the 70s and 80s, in 1989, the program took the name it carries today, the Institute and Basic Life Principles, or IBLP. And this is one of the things you'll hear online, that, that IBLP ATI. So ATI yes. is Advanced Training Institute, and he's developed a homeschooling curriculum as a part of like an outgrowth of this. Correct. And while the Duggars, who, if you, we're, we're going to get to them in a little bit, but if you don't know who they are, they've got a thousand kids and they used to have a TLC show, several of them. They have never come out. In fact, they say, we're not part of the Quiverful movement. We're just, um, I believe they identify as, as Baptists. But the way they live their life and they and would lead one to believe, eh, they have Quiverful tendencies, but they do say they're proponents of Bill Gothard's teachings. And even in one of their shows on their 
big ass van that they got to take their whole crew around in. And one of the episodes, they're going to ATI, which is a mm-hmm. huge conference. And on the side, it says ATI or bus. So they have publicly shown support for Gothard, and that's the program they use to homeschool all their children. So they might not publicly say they identify with the Quiverful movement, but okay. Yeah. I mean, it walks like a duck. The scholars mm-hmm. have said these these three kind of check boxes, and they check all the boxes. Mm-hmm. I'd add another checkbox, which is embroiled in scandal, and they check that one too. So, yep. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's why they don't have any other shows now. Nope. Gothard's IBLP organization offers seminars that started small in the 1960s and grew to millions of attendees and raked in millions of dollars over the decades. The seminars teach the seven universal biblical principles that apply to every person, regardless of culture, religion, age, education, or social status. In addition to having adherents only wear modest clothing, like women in skirts and not pants, and not listen to ungodly music, the training also emphasizes bowing to authority. This is where it turns culty, right? When you you start having a, a human person saying, I am the ultimate authority. Yeah, and with this, the IBLP, and so, I mean, there's kind of like several off, offshoots of, of the Quiverful. You got Gothard, you got some other people we've talked about. So I think that's how they skirt the issue of like, well, we're not a cult. We're just a movement because there's many quote, leaders that, you know, or that are in charge of the things, just kind of like who you decide to follow. Well, Heaven's Gate had a couple leaders, too. You know, I mean, like, like Hydra. Yeah, there's there's that doesn't mean that it's not a cult. But I will say this is why. Um, but I will say other religions, too, do have the rule of like women can't wear pants. I've known a couple people that were um i believe one was a mennonite and i can't remember what the other one was but i went to college with one of them and she never wore pants or shorts she was always in a skirt if she had to wear a bathing suit it was like one of those modest bathing suits and everything so it's not just the quiverful people that do this there's several of them but they are more like hardcore religions The umbrella of authority is a tool that IBLP uses to explain the divine order of the world. It is illustrated by a series of umbrellas going larger to smaller. The largest umbrella represents Christ, followed by the husband whose edict is to protect and provide for his family. And beneath that is the wife, who is the manager of the home and in charge of the children. So it's all very things rooted in patriarchy, very stereotypical gender roles and familiar roles. What gets me about this and what McGowan discusses in her book is that on paper, fine. It sounds fine. However, the what we see time and again, qualitatively, again, this is anecdotes. This is not like a proven statistic of every single one. But anecdotally, you see frequently the husband dereliction of duties. Like he wants the wife to do everything. But several of the women in this book are like, I can't, you know, I, I told him, okay, you have to be the spiritual leader. So you're going to have to like have Bible study with the kids. And he's like, I'm not doing that. No, go wash more dishes. And so you yeah. have this, like she said, one lady called her husband very passive. Another one said, well, I really have to, I kind of have to make him do things. And the author said, oh, really? Well, how do you do that? And she said, oh, well, he used to scream at us in, in our faces. He would have an anger problem. He would go crazy and he would scream at us. And she said, I, ha- I said, please, 
please stop screaming. He said, I'm the husband. I'm the ultimate authority. You can't do this. She said, so I got my Bible out and I found where all the verses where God and Jesus and everybody, all the disciples talk about self-control. And I gave that to him and I said, okay, Christ is above you. So your authority is telling you that you have to have self-control. And then he stopped screaming at me. So it's like, she's actually still doing the work because he isn't Mm -hmm. doing his part. He's in the middle kind of loafing around. And that's what Susie, the crazy feminist writer, her moniker, chosen moniker on YouTube was like, you see these men are subpar and she the word she used was beta cucks. <laughs> yep. But you kind of see they want to be seen as this like manly man and they don't do shit. They don't do shit for their families. No, I would I would disagree and say on paper this does not look fine. No, because- it doesn't look fine to me. I'm just saying for them that they're like, oh, this will be how it is. And the women are like, oh, no, I have twice as much work. Yeah, of course. And also you have uh, twice as few rights. Yeah. Your opinion doesn't matter as much. You don't get to be a part of like big familial decisions it's his the husband's way or the highway you know i mean it's very divisive and you're subservient to your man and yeah, I didn't that's like the- what you're supposed to be like if you if you're not then you're not doing the lord's work 100 percent. and the the i hate some of the quotes are like well there always has to be a final vote and the final vote will be my husband's and that way it's great to always know he has a final vote i'm like i don't uh, that's not a vote no (laughs) a vote is when you have a group of people and the majority wins you're like that's an ex that's an ex uh an edict an exclamation i have yeah a decree that's if if there's a tie and your husband's the one to make the tiebreaker decision okay but if it's well me and the 10 kids all think we shouldn't do this and he's like sorry we are Okay, well, that was the final vote. No, that wasn't. That was him telling you what's up. You didn't get a vote at all. Exactly. The authority structure extended to how IBLP ran at its headquarters as well. From its start in the 1970s until his resignation in 2014, Bill Gothard was not to be questioned. One former member told NBC News Gothard was treated like a god. He was the absolute authority, even when he was accused of misappropriating millions of dollars of church funds, even when his brother was accused of sexual misconduct with young women in the church with Gothard's knowledge, and even as Gothard himself was embroiled in a scandal after more than 10 women came forward and reported that he had begun grooming them and touching them inappropriately at ages as young as 13. In a now-deleted statement on his website quoted by NBC News, Gothard partially admitted to the latter allegations, saying, My actions of holding hands, hugs, and touching of feet or hair with young ladies crossed the boundaries of discretion and were wrong. I just threw up in my lap. I hate a lot of people. He sucks so hard. I throw a flip-flop at his head. I mean, he's the worst. I can't, he's just, you just, I just, what is wrong with you? What is fucking wrong with you? The whole, it's, and also, this isn't new. This isn't like, well, in his 80s, he took a turn. From like 19, the 70s, as soon as the church started making money, it shouldn't shock anybody, they started stealing it. I mean, using the, they bought a jet for the Lord, and then Mm -hmm. they started flying it around for trips that were not, and then his brother is harassing every secretary that comes through, and they're just like, well, we have to make sure Steve doesn't have any sexy secretaries that are tempting him. So, of yeah, course, women It becomes their fault. It becomes the women's fault. They're too attractive. They're dressing in too much of a tempting way. 
Yes. And then Bill Gothard was taking children, isolating them from their homes. He would meet them on the road at these seminars or whatever. And the allegations are that he would say, well, you should come. You're 15, 16. You should come work with me at the headquarters. It'll be great. Well, then they're isolated from their families so he can rub up on their thigh or go and touch their hair or their feet for Christ's sake. And then who are they going to? Uh, you know, get after him about he's the ultimate authority. There was like no questioning him. And one girl, I believe, was maybe 20 and he was like 70 or 80. And he went to the board and said, she's been here for the last five years. I've really taken a liking to her. I think I'd like to marry her. And they were like, hell no. And he's like, well, I'm still in charge, though, so you can't fire me. Which means... He was 65 and she was 15 when that relationship started. Yeah. Reading um, Recovering Grace is the website mm-hmm. that really documents a lot of the IBLP stuff. It's gut-wrenching. Yeah. The victim after victim after victim, not just of Bill Gothard, but of family abuse and then of church abuse that all Spiritual just gets... Spiritual abuse. 100% gets covered Yeah. Up. And I mean... Even if you go, if these things happen to you and then you're like, well, I'm going to go home and tell my parents, if Gothard is like God, essentially, then it becomes, oh, well, of course, that's, he's not doing anything wrong. You've been chosen. You're so lucky. You're so special that he wants to spend this one-on-one time with you. It's insidious and gross, and it's why the abuse can continue, and it's why a lot of people don't come forward in these types of situations about the abuse they're experiencing. You're absolutely right. And the mental abuse that's already been imparted on these young women where your sexuality is Mm -hmm. your value, that if you're touched, you're impure, but you're also to submit to ultimate male authority. And Vision Forum Ministries is another organization with whom the Duggars were involved, with whom the Campbells, who we're about to get to, were involved. And their leader kept a 15-year-old girl in his home as a sex slave, who, again, he said, come work for the ministry. Come work. And he, I mean, nightly would go in. Mm-hmm. It's very gruesome. And masturbate mm-hmm. on her. He would he would fondle her, and then he would hold her down, and he would masturbate on her. And she cried, and she said, please don't do it. And she said, I was so trapped because I was told you have to submit to this ultimate male authority. And also, if anything sexual happens with you, you're now damaged goods, and no one's going to want you. So she's like, and she was 15. So what, the, what an ultimate mind fuck. And he knows that. Yeah. He knows that he's doing, he's putting yes. her in this impossible position where she just has to suffer silently. And the... I mean, tons of studies and statistics, when that kind of shit happens to you, it sets you up for a real hard life that involves substance abuse, self-harm, suicide. Like, it's it. at some point, the chain has to be broken. And it does take, like you said, the kids growing up and realizing, I this isn't for me. I don't want this. And breaking away and often getting shunned from their families, losing all of their friends to just feel like they have some sort of autonomy and independence and hopefully then can have families of their own and and teach that instead of what they were taught. Absolutely. And also they're taught in here, if you're touched by a man and you don't cry out, then you're asking for it. Essentially, that's like the Mm -hmm. literature says that. So if you're trauma reaction is freezing or appeasing or something like what that's not necessarily calling out so that it's your fault yeah yeah if you didn't react the way that we think you should have reacted it's your fault it's also a nice trap if you're the one writing the materials and the one doing the abuse yeah yeah a dozen women sued iblp and bill himself in 2016 
The Washington Post reported that 34 women told the whistleblowing website Recovering Grace that they had been sexually harassed by Gothard. Four women alleged molestation. Gothard used the church's massive resources to fight the lawsuits and was never charged criminally due to statutes of limitations. Even after his resignation in the wake of the sex scandal, the IBLP has remained a cornerstone of quiverful families and one source of materials for the families to homeschool their children. And that's the deal is that some homeschooling families are utilizing these materials, not understanding the full breadth and depth and issues of what's going on here. Especially if you've been brought up in that type of family, Mm -hmm. because that's hard to then admit, oh, I think everything I was taught is wrong and I essentially have to now start over. That's a huge mental thing, an emotional thing, spiritual, psychological to come to terms with. So it makes sense that instead of doing that, you just keep doing what you know because it's the easier path. And maybe you don't even know there's another one you could take. And true. And you're also threatened with eternal damnation. Yes. And if th- that's the spiritual ma- manipulation is that you want a close religious relationship. Everybody's entitled to that. And now it's been turned against you as this form of kind of self-punishment. Yeah. And you read in the materials, what should happen? What should you do if there's a, a sexual abuse allegation in your home? They're like... Don't call the cops. Pray you about should... it. Look, no, they're yeah, tell and... the dad. It's the yeah. umbrella. You tell the dad. And then if the dad can't handle it, he needs to tell the church leaders. And if they can't handle it, tell a higher church leader. And if they can't handle it, then you call the police. Meanwhile, the child has not been removed from the home. The child has not seen a psychologist, has not seen a medical doctor, has not had their needs met. And you're like, but it's the umbrella. And so I think that's when you go, everybody's free to practice their religion, but not at the expense of a kid who can't defend themselves. Right. Yes. That if... If something illegal is going on in the home, instead of being able to alert an outside authority and that's hopefully unbiased, you have to go up this chain of command where what if your abuser is the person you're supposed to tell or yeah. the person they're supposed to tell? Like you're there, it's it's a nice design if you never want anybody to be able to leave your cult and branch out on their own or or fear of branching out because like you said there's this guilt you hear from so many of the people in this and people that have left this guilt they have about their relationship with god that well if i had a better relationship with god and i was praying better i was more dutiful and i was doing better then none of this would be happening and that's just in my opinion not the case like and, they, and, and it's and it's very harmful and damaging to teach a child, uh, even in young children, that that is the truth. Yes, that they that it could have it's the onus is on the victim. And in some of the materials, and I mean, I can link it in the show notes. It says, well, as parents and as you know, kids in the home, you know, younger female siblings shouldn't walk around after bath time and. Female siblings shouldn't have their older brothers, you know, changing diapers or giving them or male or female. I mean, they're really they're shoehorning it, but it could be either. Mm-hmm. And again, it's so what you just said was he would not have sexually abused yes. that kid if she just hadn't walked out of the bath. If she it's wasn't asking fault. for it is essentially what you're saying. Yes. Yes. I believe it's the Duggars that have a code word for if they're all out together and a woman walks by that's wearing something that could be tempting that the mom will say Nike's and all of the guys then know to look down at their feet. So they're not going to see whatever could possibly tempt them and give them impure thoughts. Well, that did not work. 
No, it sure didn't. It did it. No, it didn't. But and again, it also puts all of the onus on that woman. Yes. Instead was- of these 10 men that don't look, you're going to be tempted and then you'll do something impure. Like, you know, how about teach them um, anybody can wear anything they want. That's their, they're independent. They're, they have their own autonomy. Whatever happens, that's up to you to deal with it because that's your problem, not yes. their problem. Take some personal responsibility for sure. For sure. Sinisterhood will be right back. There's no truer way to say I love you than by taking care of each other. That's why this year, the gift of health is all you need. And with EverlyWell, you can find 30-plus at-home lab tests, vitamins, supplements, and more for every person on your holiday list. EverlyWell is digital healthcare designed for you with personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health. With over 30 at-home lab tests and high-quality vitamins and supplements, you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved ones. The women's health, food sensitivity, and celiac disease screening tests are only a few of the options. Everlywell ships products straight to you or your loved one with everything needed in one package. If you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample can simply be collected at home and shipped back to a certified lab in the prepaid envelope included with the test. Digital physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your preferred device in just days. If you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. It's so simple. Over 1 million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals. And now you can help your loved ones do the same. I have my women's test waiting. It's It gave me all these instructions of what day of the month to start it on, exactly what to do. It's super easy. And I got some supplements that I've already started taking because uh, my nutritionist was like, you can always take supplements. It's awesome. The gift of health has never been so easy to share as it is this holiday. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash creepy. That's everlywell.com slash creepy for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash creepy. As Gothard was developing IBLP, another set of evangelists was building their empire. In 1991, native New Zealanders and preachers Colin and Nancy Campbell immigrated to the United States. Like Gothard, the Campbells emphasized strict adherence to patriarchal standards and observation of traditional binary gender roles. Nancy developed her program called Above Rubies, which she first promoted through a magazine of the same name and later on her website and social media presence. Above Rubies promotes women in their high calling as wives, mothers, and homemakers. Collins' blog discusses uncompromising manhood and encourages husbands, fathers, and single men in biblical manhood. And is called Meat for Men. M-E-A-T? Oh, my God. What? Who? Why? Who, who would ever go, this is a good name for this, and These put folks. it out in the world? I don't even... Meat is in, like... The substance, like this is what you should be consuming and and gnawing on. This is the meat of the matter. Get, I get it. It's probably a biblical reference. That's fine. It doesn't make it any less terrible of a name. They're- if you're into this, if you want, if you're like, I'd like to look up Colin's blog, and you do a Google search of meat for men. Yikes! I haven't done it, but I'm gonna imagine there's a few other hits that come up probably before that one. That are going to take you down a different path, intended or not. Um, there's a lot of, there's a whole book, uh, but it's by a different person. So there's probably, maybe they'll see one get another. Maybe cookbooks about uh, carnivorous men. 
a pungent book of messages deliberately designed to motivate Christians to increase prayer and obedience. Again, again, it's probably from the Bible, but come on. Pungent? (laughs) I've never used the word pungent to describe something positive. Yeah. Only gross smells. Manly meat gifts for men, manlymanco.com. Not a sponsor, just came up when I was Googling it. You can order meat. That's, I guess, for men. It's stupid. Anyhow. How far down till we get to porn? Uh, pro- well, I have safe search on, so that might be on me. I will say Susie, the feminist writer, was like, she doesn't want to use, she's on YouTube. She just says corn. So she goes, I heard, sounds yes. like I gay her. male corn. Like <laughs> corn. Like male corn. And then it just cuts to commercial. <laughs> She's a trip, man. Uh, She's a trip. In their videos, the couple initially quote the Bible and even the dictionary. When speaking about God and his creation of woman, Nancy said, He created her with a womb. And in fact, that's the most distinguishing characteristic of a woman. In the American Webster's 1928 Dictionary, it says that woman is a combination of two words, womb and man. She is a womb man. (laughs) Sounds like a fucking superhero. No, I'm all woman. I thought was woman, man, woman, man, man. You are a man. She has a womb. These people went to the insurrection. They that suck. is your own only job in this life. Pump out your kids. That's how you're a woman. It's just so gross because one, like, they haven't come out and said we don't. We we don't um support trans rights or gay rights, but they don't need to. Go to their Facebook. When they're like, uh, women are only supposed to have children and your your uterus is what makes you a woman. Well, I know a lot of people that would disagree with that, myself included. So they're saying all these things without really saying it, but that's even more dangerous because then you're like, Oh, well, they've never said the word like transphobic or homophobic. No, but they don't need to when their teachings are the definition of that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she's uh, insidious, too, because they're kind Mm -hmm. of jolly looking older folks and they speak with these like borderline New Zealand accents, very pleasant sounding. And then, boy, as you're watching, it'll go. But I went to their website. I said, I'm going to search up. You know, maybe now there's a selfie of them on their way to the insurrection. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that tracks. <laughs> that tracks. There it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. And you know what? I bet they weren't going along alone. I bet they had some people they were meeting up with. Oh, they were like so excited. Hashtag stop the steal. I mean, just like selfie in the airport, not hiding it. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot of not overt language, but very uh, transphobic, homophobic, mm-hmm. racist, Islamophobic language on their Facebook. But it's like couched in terms of the Bible, which my husband was always, he was just like, fuck these people. Because he was like, they're mis- they're misinterpreting these certain passages yeah. or cherry picking. And I know tons of wonderful people that practice Christianity, Judaism, uh, Mus- that are Muslim, whatever. And they don't believe any of this. So by no means does... Does this like blanket all of Christianity by any by any means? And I if I was a Christian, I would look at groups like this and think this is really sad and it hurts what we're what we really believe in and what I'm really trying to do. Because when people then think of like Christianity, they think of things like this and then, it you know, they have a negative opinion about it. Absolutely. Exclusionary as opposed to the uh, loving forgiveness mm-hmm. nature of uh the bible and paris goes 
what is she talking about? Because in another video, she was like quoting Deuteronomy. I was like, oh, she's talking about Deuteronomy. And he goes, that's just a big list of shit you're not supposed to do. Like, don't eat shrimp. Stay away from women on their period. You know, and I go, well, the second one's not a bad idea. I mean, <laughs> but given my reaction every month. And I said, in the first one, if I would have heated that, I wouldn't have got E. coli last year from those prawns. Is that I true? Oh, yeah. Deuteronomy says those things? It's a long list of shit you're not supposed to. Don't, don't, like I have on a cotton t-shirt and a sweater that's synthetic and you're not supposed to mix them. I'm going to hell. There's a lot of shit in there. Like I said, it's very cherry-picked where you go, well, it really says this. Don't get Paris going off on the Bible but like, discussion of homosexuality. My husband is like, I will tell you where it doesn't say that. That passage that everyone tries to use actually is against pedophilia, which we, that's fine. Then you have some folks in the quiverful movement that are kind of pro-pedophilia. So, again... Please don't DM me. But this is my issue kind of with the Bible in general, is there's so much information in it, and some of it is as ridiculous as stay away from women on their periods, don't eat shrimp, whatever. So if you have a book of, I don't know how many pages it is, but a lot, and you're like, well, some of this is true, some of it's not, who is anybody to say what is true and what it's not? It's all just your opinion, which is like the shirt you have on right now. It's just like your opinion, man. It's just, yeah. So while some people like Paris are going to pick the, the better things to follow, other people won't. But it's all coming from the same book. And therein lies my issue with it. Well, what you're discussing is the concept of biblical inerrancy. And so some people believe, and I would argue that the quiverful people and a lot of fundamentalists believe that the Bible is without error or fault is 100% yes. true. My husband is more like, and I mean, I you, there's stuff to learn. It's just, There's a book. There's stories, kind of fables. Things I think you it's all stuff that could also, it's, it's uh, I don't want to say common sense, but it's stuff that like, yeah, treat others the way you want to be treated. Don't cheat on your wife. Be a good person. All of that's just like basic human stuff to be a good person. And theologians have traced, there was one passage in particular, and I believe it was in this Beth Allison Barr uh, NPR interview I was uh, reading, and she was saying one of the stories that the quiverful people use out of the Bible, She's and again, she's a historian, she's like, this is a medieval story that happened that was like, you know, told over and over again. It's like an urban legend and that it was adopted wholesale into the Bible. And then Jesus was kind of inserted into the story. And like, so that's why if you read it and go, okay, this is a collection of aphorisms and tomes and it makes me feel good to read it. That's one thing. But I think if you go, boy, this, let me tell you this twilight book, it's like the guy on Parks and Rec that wants to put the twilight book in the capsule and you go, everything in here is a hundred percent real. And it's like, it just, it is not. Again, it's like taking Grimm's fairy tales and teaching your kids that there's a ugly swan that, you know, I mean, I remember there was some ugly swan story that, but like, mm -hmm. you can't, it's, ugly it's just, it's made up. Yeah. It's made I mean, up so, by people. Some of the stuff is true. I mean, Jesus was a real person. Sure. A lot of the people were real people. However, like you said, it's it's kind of changed hands over the years. And I think that's why you said what you said earlier is 100% right. All of this worship and religion is finding a thing that makes you feel good and happy and following it and asking maybe somebody that's read it a little bit closer than you what their opinion is. And if you don't like it, go to a different church or whatever. What happens, I think, or here— go to no church. You don't have to have a church to feel fulfilled. I am here to, to attest to that. By that, I mean, maybe you go work out, you find it at home, meditating, whatever. You find sure. something that makes you feel good. But with this, when you have folks that have this biblical inerrancy and who say 100% everything, you're, you're what you're saying earlier is absolutely right. They can't take half of it 
and then go, well, we don't really like listen to that part. Anyway, kids, let's have some shrimp. You know, so right. you, that's what I think really gnaws at all of us is the hypocrisy of it, right? Is that you're not saying, well, we kind of interpret this in our own way. You say this, the Bible says you're second to me and that's what it is. And second to me, well, what about the part that says these things? Well, shut up about that, right? So, Well, to play devil's advocate, if I may, for a second, and I'm enjoying this conversation we're having, sincerely. I am too. Um, how is that hypocrisy any different for the people that we are saying is on the right side of the Bible? If you are then cherry picking only the parts that you think are good and inclusive and saying, well, we're going to ignore all that other stuff that talks about like women should just be having kids all the time and they got to serve their man. Well, I think the maybe a healthier uh, view of the Bible is not inerrancy, is not saying the Bible is infallible, it is 100% right, everything in it is true, is maybe saying, I believe that the people when they wrote it meant what they said. However, understanding it's like a man typed it, the 37 different people typed it. So then, I, like you said, you take, it's like anything. It's I would like argue it's the same as the Constitution or any, any old document that was uh, constructed under by men, only men, in a time where things were much, much different. And as society and we as a, a planet evolve, there are things that should change. And people that look at the Bible and think, except this, this one stays the same. You're just on the wrong side of it, man. I think you're 100% right. And it's almost like there's not a one size fits all way to deal with any of this. And mm -hmm. that's where I think the biblical inerrancy and somebody like uh, like Bill Gothard or the, this kind of quiverful adherence to say this is absolute authority submit. That's the problem. Again, if everybody goes, that's just like your opinion, man. Let's kind of do find a place in the middle consensus area. We have to egalitarian. We all kind of got to figure out not man or this women are this period. Don't ask questions. Don't question authority. That's the problem. That's and if you presented it to your kids as this is what we believe. Yeah. And this is how, you know, all the people we go to church with, they believe. But if you decide you don't want to believe that or even here are some other things people believe. Here's some other religions, or, or maybe you're not religious at all. We want you to find your own path and do what's right for you, but that's not what it is. It's you're going to be raised in this family like this. You have no say in it. This is what you do. This is your life. We're going to live on a farm away from the city. You're all homeschooled. So then it's like you're in this bubble where yeah. everybody not only believes what you believe, but it's like rules your life. Yeah. And you cannot question it or right. you're because of this umbrella, you're then questioning God. And the whole deal is if you don't make him happy, you're going to go to hell. May I briefly tell you what happened on Thanksgiving? Yes, please. With our God might be aliens poster that I have above my. Oh, I've got it on my wall. My, but nothing happened with it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> my almost six year old niece is learning how to spell. And she said, what is A-L-I-E-N-S? And my sister said aliens. And she goes, what is G-O-D, God? And my sister said, yeah. She goes, what is M-I-G-H-T? Shannon said, might. And she said, B-E. And Shannon said, B. And she goes, God might be aliens. And she looked at me and she goes, God's not aliens. I said, you don't know that. <laughs> what did she, she, goes, she say? She was like, huh. Like, I guess I don't know that. And I was like, I just ruined her whole life. <laughs> no, I don't think <laughs> no, you ruined kidding. it. I think those are the conversations we should be having with kids. Yeah, is You know, like... <laughs> Learn, learn everything, question authority, make your own decisions, pave your own way. You know, like, like you said, there's no one end all be all. This is what yeah. you got to believe. You can draw from all sorts of things. So I don't think there's anything wrong with 
and we're very honest with Ella, like, this is what we, honestly, I don't think we've had any religious discussions with her, except for if we are driving and see a church and she asks what that is, we'll tell her. But, you know, we're not religious, so it's not discussed. We don't talk about God and stuff in the house. So, but if, when that does come up, if she hears about it at school and stuff like that, or we just bring it up to her, we're going to say like, here's what we believe. Here's what a lot of other people believe. It's up to you to find out what feels right for you. And we are here to support you and whatever that is. Bringing it full circle. That's the answer to your question earlier of what's the difference in this type of interpretation and the other type is that this type is, this is it. This is, and if you don't believe it, you're mm-hmm. wrong and you're bad. And the other type is, this is what we believe. And you come, come on down if you want it. And if not, go on. Mm-hmm. God might be aliens. <laughs> and you know what? That's just like your opinion, man. That's what my shirt says. <laughs> if if when in doubt, look to the dude. Always. Always. Truly. The Campbells then pivot to what seems to be their real concern. The danger of the waning numbers of the European Christian population. The Campbells call it... Building a dynasty of godly seed. And provide mathematical tables for how many children one couple needs to have in order to end up with over 1,500 descendants in just a few generations. Colin Campbell said in a video titled Above Ruby's Vision. We're needing votes for righteousness. We're needing votes for conservativeness. But where are the voters? We haven't raised them. This is so gross to me because now you're getting into don't have kids because you want them. Have kids because we need to set ourselves up to where the whites are taking over the world. White Christians are taking over the world. Yeah, they're they're very overt about that. Yeah. Conservative votes are only one concern. Becoming outnumbered by Muslims is another. A slide on that same Above Ruby's video provided growth numbers for Christianity and stated, Islam is growing faster and thus increasing its market share. Speaking with NPR in 2009, Nancy Campbell doubled down on her opinions on the dangers of the dwindling Christian numbers. We look across the Islamic world and we see that they are outnumbering us in their family size, and they are in many places and many countries taking over those nations without jihad, just by multiplication. We're both just shaking our heads. Just no whiff of self-awareness. Or you don't care, even if yeah. maybe, you know, you're just unapologetic. Yeah. And this is what Emily Hunter McGowan says, that there's basically two camps in Quiverful, the elites and the lay. Well, like the lay is just like followers every day. You know, you kind of see, you know, the people she's interviewing, the people on these blogs and the elites are the Campbells, the Gothards, the Doug Jones, I think is vision for him. These like larger and they're really the ones with these like insidious messages. They take it a step further. Yeah. And they just say it out loud. Mm hmm. This focus on having many children to replenish the white Christian European population is not unusual in the Quiverful movement. Author Catherine Joyce, who wrote Quiverful Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement, told Rewire News Group that Quiverful is predominantly a white movement that includes a lot of unspoken racial undercurrent to the arguments they make. Which is what we were also saying about transphobic homophobic in any any type of phobia that goes against the white christian movement they are saying it without having to say it yeah and the nancy campbell and her husband they just say it yeah they just they don't care yeah Mm -hmm. joyce also writes about the movement's big picture plans and the message preached by its leaders 
They speak about if everyone starts having eight children or 12 children, imagine in three generations what we'll be able to do. We'll be able to take over both halls of Congress. We'll be able to reclaim sinful cities like San Francisco for the faithful. And we'll be able to wage very effective, massive boycotts against companies that are going against God's will. This is dangerous and scary. The only thing I can hang my hope on is that so many of the kids end up bailing. So many don't, but a lot do. But, but they. But I think um, especially like as this generation coming up and even going forward, I think more will break off. There, I, it's not, it's up for debate if it's coming back next season, but there has been a show on TLC called Welcome to Platteville. It's a, they have 10 kids. They, they follow the Quiverful movement. A couple of the older kids have since broken off and moved out. But in one of the episodes I was watching, I don't think she had moved out at this point. But one of the the second oldest girl had gone to California to visit someone. And she's sitting around the table telling her parents and her siblings about this. And her parents are on each end of the table just giving each other looks the whole time. Like, oh, she's going to corrupt all these other smaller children. And it even cuts to like, you know, the talking head interview with the mom where she's like, well, we already feel Micah and Mariah pulling away, and we're really worried that their beliefs are going to spread to the younger kids, and they're also going to pull away. Meanwhile, Mariah's telling all these kids, like, we've always been told that California is so bad, but really, I went out there, and it's great. I met so many great people, and the beaches are great, and there's so much out there, and like some of the younger kids are like... I want to go to California one day. And the parents are just looking at each other like over my dead body. And it's so sad. And you're like, how insane that these kids have been told the city of San Francisco is full of sinners. If you go, you'll become one. You know, I mean, like an entire state has been blanketed as this den of inequity (laughs) that you can't ever go to. And she's like, no, I went. It was pretty cool. The weather's great. Nice beaches. Yeah, she's like, it was great that if you put a lump of coal at both of their asses, they'd have had a diamond at the end of that. Dude, meal because they were, they were on just, edge. They were so tight, and the kids going. But Mariah, the the young, the second oldest kid that went on that trip, made such a good point. She goes, if they were lying to us about California, what else are they lying to us about? Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes is like a little crack of light to go. Hang yep. on a minute. And she has since moved out with for her. her her brother, the second oldest brother named Micah, and they live together now and. Man, when they go back in that one episode to kind of sit down and talk to their parents about how they were raised and their feelings, the just devastation on each of their faces, specifically Mariah, just it's it's heartbreaking. And they're sitting so close to each other because you can just feel like we we feel comfort like Mm -hmm. this. This is the only other person that could know what I've gone through because they went through it, too, you know, and. They're talking to their siblings that still live there, and their siblings are completely bought in on on this movement. And she's like, well, I'd love for you to come visit me and see that there's more to this world, you know? And it's sad because it causes this huge division in families and, and siblings, and you feel like you were robbed of your childhood or robbed of having supportive parents. And it's super sad to see that play out. Absolutely. It's so sad, too, because especially if you grew up with 10 siblings, you're used to having a bunch of people around. And when you do have to move out and you're and I'm sure they are very close with each other, the two that escaped, Mm -hmm. because you're used to having companionship. You're not taught self-reliance, self-sufficiency, being alone, being in the quiet. Mm -hmm. 
Focusing on the population decline in Europe becomes a justification for having more children, according to Joyce. Right after quoting biblical passages arguing that God wants you to have as many children as possible, Joyce says quiverful leaders will pivot to a darker message of the decline of the white race. However, she clarifies, I don't think the followers of the movement are necessarily driven by ideas of white supremacy. I just think it's an undertone that the leadership feeds upon. I agree with that. Like we said, they don't have no one's coming out and saying we're white supremacists, but it's more insidious that they aren't. And it's just this undertone and it becomes this systemic thing because that's just what you're you grow up believing. The leadership is feeding pretty like nice platitudes of like, God wants you to do this. And here's in the Bible. Meanwhile, and then after they have all those kids, then they'll all be white Christian mm-hmm. voters. So that's kind of the, the elite versus the lay structure. Probably the most famous adherents of Corvaful movement are the Duggar family from TLC's 19 Kids and Counting. Though they refuse to specifically identify as Quiverful adherents, the family practices many of the principles and utilized Bill Gothard's IBLP teachings to homeschool their children. Their first television special debuted in 2004, but by 2015, it was revealed their eldest son, Josh, had been sexually molesting some of his younger sisters, as well as a family babysitter. TLC canceled the show in light of the accusations. Well, and that, they were in commercials for IBLP, Bill Gothard. They were, Michelle uh, Duggar was given like mom of the year at the Vision Forum. So as much as they say, we're not quiverful, but mm-hmm. they, for all of the large figureheads of the movement, they were like spokespeople for it. Yeah, yeah. They're very intertwined in, in, oh. in some way. I got to say, I've followed this Josh Duggar thing for years, and I want to punch him directly in his smug face. I'll post his federal booking photo, but mm-hmm. he's smiling in it. So yeah, that's uh, the just one. prepare yourself to throw your phone on the ground when you see it. Yeah, that's the one that you just want to smack the shit out of him. It's disgusting. And when the whole thing happened and the family found out about it, what did they do? Oh, they sent Nothing. him to someone else's farm, a family that practices the same religion, so they could take care of him and take them under his wing, and he could see the error of his ways, and they would all pray about it together, and it would go away, and he would change. Yeah, that's, I mean, and it's a, kind of it was an open secret. Some folks online came forward and said, like, I knew the family, and there are, it's widely accepted known that he was doing this. Because, again, what you say is like, okay, the hierarchy is if something's happened to the kid, she's going to tell the mom, mom's going to tell the dad, dad tells the church, and that's it. And that's and the church it. says, well, we're, this stops here because we don't want this getting out and ruining our reputation. If I recall correctly, and the article is linked in the show notes, I believe one of the daughters had written, had either told about what happened to the other daughter, and they had written it in a letter, slipped the letter in a book. Mm-hmm. That they never sent the letter is like an outcry for help. They never sent it, slipped it in the book. The book was then lent to a friend of the family who found this letter and was like, this is what's happening. But wow. again, it was like this kind of open secret in the community because, you know, you reported up the chain and that's like juicy gossip. People are people. Gosh, are people. You wonder if they did that as a like that was like a way for it to get out. Yeah. Like a true cry for help. It's yeah. it's, it's so insidious. And to know that. 
based on, again, uh, anonymous sources, people that don't want to come forward for fear of retribution, saying it was this open secret that this was how it's gut wrenching. And it makes me sick to look at photos of them, Mm -hmm. to watch them together, to know how badly those kids suffered. Mm -hmm. And what does it tell those daughters? Mm -hmm. Your voice is silent. What what you're going through? It's it's fine. Uh, you don't have autonomy over your own body. It, you were probably asking for it. Did you walk yeah. around him in a towel? Mm-hmm. Were you in your pajamas? Yeah. You know, like, were you in a bathing suit? Like, it's, uh, it makes me want to throw up. Yeah, it's very sick. And he was 15 when he committed some of the crimes that were talked about. And that, in my mind, the question is, where does a 15-year-old understand sexual touching like that? What happened to him as well? It doesn't excuse what he did. True. But abuse cycles through, and I don't think a 15-year-old boy woke up one day and started molesting his sisters in the babysitter. I imagine there was an, uh, a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Josh remained free as the statute of limitation had expired on those charges and began working for the political lobby PAC, the Conservative Family Research Council. TLC gave the Duggars a new show called Counting On. That show would also be canceled when, in 2021, Josh Duggar was arrested for possessing and receiving child pornography. He was found guilty on all charges later that year, and in May of 2022, was sentenced to 12 years in federal prison. Which he serves in Seagaville, Texas, not far from here. This Rot. Sex offender unit. What It's a... Uh, I don't know how to feel about his wife, because she has... Stood by his side. I think I and I'm I haven't checked in a while what she's come out, but when everything happened in his first sentence, I think I believe she asked for privacy, which is totally understandable. But before that, she was very supportive of him, even after these charges came out and lots of evidence was presented that he had child pornography on his computer, he had sent it, he had received it. I also would like to point out. I believe they have five or six girls. And at the time of this, she was pregnant with another girl. Yeah, it's uh, do- it doesn't look like she's abandoned ship. It, according to the this article dated October 17th, 2022, there are reports that Anna is planning to move to Texas to be near Josh while he serves out his 12 and a half God year sentence. Damn, the dude. mom of seven has been visiting Josh every other weekend, making the six hour drive from her Arkansas home to the Federal Correctional Institute in Seagaville. Uh Yeah. Fuck. Apparently and- there's there's some there are at odds and there are disagreements. Um, that's just kind of rumors and rumblings, but that she's been looking for homes near the prison for her and her kids. God he filed damn. an appeal. Uh, fat chance on that, though. Um, yeah, he thinks he's going to beat the appeal, according to a source, and feels that the wife's move is unnecessary. He thinks they're going to reverse his case. It speaks to how under the thumb of this religion these women are and the patriarchal dominance that has been set up within the family she can't go against her husband even though she has proof whether she wants to believe it or not there is evidence you can't argue with it he's been convicted we're not defaming anybody that he has been looking at porn with of kids younger than your daughters yeah who knows what he has done to those daughters nothing has come out but it wouldn't be a far leap to think that something had happened He's a repeat sex offender 
with access to children and had access to children. And whether it was the kids in the home or kids in church or wherever he was at or whatever political, you know, events he was at, I don't think it's a uh, question, uh, an unreasonable question to ask Mm -hmm. what else he has done that he just wasn't caught for, that he just didn't leave a digital trail. Uh, According to this article, his wife is, quote, tired, broken and worn out during her visits. And I I imagine raising seven kids by yourself while your sex predator husband's locked up is not an easy life. No, and I hope that she is able to break away and start a new life away from him, take those kids, move away, find your own peace and with God if in your own family. I, you, you just can't live like that. That's no way for somebody to live, and it's definitely no way for those kids to live. How yeah. do you grow up knowing your dad is in prison for child pornography and you're a child. Yeah. And your mom seems to be, uh, I won't say fine with it, but essentially trapped. It's like, it's just not a she's good. Not, she's not actively trying to distance herself from it. Yeah. And I wonder, it says she's disappeared from social media with the fall of the show. That's the thing is you see these families with a lot of kids. They can't afford to support them. They can't afford to take care of them. So yep. they go on reality shows. Well, yep. then, of course, all this dirt comes out that they're, it will go through several other scandals um, on these TV families. Well, what are you going to do? The Duggars are right now begging for money online. They got a YouTube channel. The niece was supposed to have a wedding special that got canceled because of all this and was like, does anybody want to send me cards still? We're registered here. It's like the well has dried up of Gross. money. They're trying to sell Duggars production studio t-shirts if somebody what kind of a dumbass do you have to be to walk around with a Duggar t-shirt on Mm-mm, no uh it's that's another issue i have with the the quiverful movement or really any if you want to have 20 kids that's your right go go out and do it if you can't financially support those children you should not be doing that Additionally, I find it nearly impossible to believe that when you have that many kids, you as parents can devote the time that each kid needs to them. It's physically impossible. There's not enough hours in the day for them to do all the housework, cleaning, cooking, shopping, taking care of the kids, teaching them because they're not in school. You can't do all of that and then also provide them the one-on-one emotional attention that they need. It just doesn't happen. And that's why as the firstborns get older, their job is to then take care of the younger ones and help out, robbing them completely of their childhood. We'll get into parentification and the problems with that in a minute. But it's just, if you can't, if you can't do for your family what needs to be done to ensure that your kid is a healthy emotionally stable, feel supported individual, then you shouldn't be having them. And the sad part is, you're absolutely right. Emily Hunter McGowan, in her qualitative studies of this, the women said, one woman said, well, I know the kid probably would have read sooner, but I just didn't have time to spend with him. Or, man, I really can't get all the lessons done every day. So I tell myself, as long as they, you know, get a Bible verse a day, Mm -hmm. they're doing okay. And I'm like, so you've just admitted dereliction of duty of your kids are now behind significantly but then they it's it's quite sad that she's like well i don't really want them to go to 
to like college or anything. Like I don't want to get out there. So, you know, whatever job they can scrape up, you know, that's fine with me. And it's like, you, you know, not that everybody's got to go be a brain surgeon or rocket scientist or whatever, but just saying, I want you to find what makes you feel fulfilled and happy, but you're, you're going, I don't know, read the Bible some more. Sorry, go wash more dishes and take care of your baby sister. I don't know. I can't, I can't talk to you right now. And and it's not, this is not our conjecture. Again, this is the research that we've read that they're admitting it. Well, I mean, yeah, in, in the Plath one, Mariah is telling her parents and, and Micah, he, he says to them, the biggest issue that's come out of all of this is we don't have schooling. Yeah. We don't have diplomas. We all have to get our GEDs. Mariah wanted to go to college. She's like, I can't just apply for college because I haven't gone to a school. Mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, not only do you not have like the actual documents and things that one must have to apply, but you don't have the knowledge. You don't have yeah. the life experience. You're going from your farm bubble to a university where people come from all walks of life. That's intimidating. That's scary. It's dangerous. If you don't, if you haven't been told like how to, if certain situations arise, like how to deal with them to keep yourself safe. And the mom is just like, well, you scored really high on your standardized testing. So I don't think we did anything wrong. I gave you the schoolwork to do. You just didn't do it. And then it cuts to a talking head interview And she says, well, with the first three, we didn't make them do their homework as much as we should have. So we learned by the fourth that we really got to make them do their work. Well, so the first three were essentially guinea pigs for how you're going to run your homeschool and super suffered. But also, you're not taking any, I mean... You're taking accountability is the sense of, well, we learned what we did wrong and now we fixed it. But you haven't but you're you're missing the bigger picture. And I by no means do I have any problem with someone homeschooling their kids, but don't rob them of the opportunities right. that they might want later on down the line. And when you see this, there was a huge shift toward homeschooling with the Christian right in the 1960s, which coincided. It's not going to shock any of you guys with school integration, Mm. because before that, homeschooling was kind of this like liberal left hippie thing. And then suddenly the schools are integrating and you've got the Jerry Falwell focus on the family going, we got to get the kids out of the schools. They're nightmares. And you're like, are they nightmares or they're just not totally white? Mm -hmm. And then when you see this shift to this kind of unregulated or you have Bill Gothard, who is a sex predator i mean Mm -hmm. who's writing your school curriculum that blatantly includes these things that are not helpful life lessons but in in fact are like well you know if somebody gropes you it's probably your fault what were you wearing then you are you're robbing and and then again that's and then imagine you you do go to college and that's what you think oh yeah yeah you've been taught that so you go well you know i was wearing a spaghetti strap shirt it's my own fault i won't report it i didn't outcry so therefore so you know it's really hard and you you see these kids are not set up to succeed and they're they're set up in fact it's almost like they want to kneecap everybody Mm -hmm. so that they have to get married and they have to stay in this for sure it's it's absolutely a cycle Disturbingly, the Duggars aren't the only quiverful family with documented child abuse. David and Louise Turpin, the parents who tortured and abused their 13 children, ranging in ages from 2 years old to 29, were also followers of Quiverful. In 2018, after their 17-year-old daughter Jordan escaped from the family home and called authorities, her parents were arrested. In 2019, the couple pled guilty to 14 felony counts, including cruelty, torture, and false imprisonment. They were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. That is one that I 
can't bring myself to watch the documentary or really read about because it's too much for me to to have in my head. Yeah. What they did was abhorrent, extremely graphic, and their daughter Jordan is a absolute hero. For sure. It like makes me choked up that she like oh, yeah. ran she like ran to her neighbors she, and was like, didn't she escape out a window in the yeah. middle of the night and I ran mean, and psh, you see your chance and she took it and then that love that you have for your siblings where you're like, I gotta do something, I've gotta help them. And thank and God scared. that the authorities believe, believed them too and went back and although at the same time the system did fail them because I believe the authorities had been over there before and had seen, or maybe child services or something, and had seen some conditions and hadn't done anything about it. They'd fallen yeah. through the cracks. Yeah. I mean, but it's, in this case, you know, she, at least she was there and she could be that voice and say, here are specific things yeah. that I can tell you are going on. And thank God those kids got out of there. And like you said, uh, may they rot where they stay. Absolutely. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Uh, I didn't eat very well today. I just had a plain bagel because I'm waiting for my factor meals to arrive. Ooh, they're so the good. The only time I eat well at home. <laughs> they're so, so good. I'm very looking much, I'm very looking much forward to. I can't, I, my words get twisted because I'm just thinking about how delicious those foods are. Um, my mouth is drooling now. Oh yeah, you can't help it. And with the bustling holiday season just around the corner, it's the perfect time to plan ahead with Factor. It's the ready-to-eat meal delivery. They shop, prep, cook, and deliver all to your door so you can enjoy chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals during the holidays, minus the hassle. Plus, with 34 meals per week, including Gourmet Plus, Keto, Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, and 36 weekly add-ons, you'll have plenty of nutritious, flavorful options to choose from. We got a lot going on these holidays. The month of December is already jam-packed, but... Fractor's fresh, never-frozen meals make it easy to fuel up when we're on the go, and we save time with the meals delivered ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. I love a two-minute meal. Bam. Factor is cheaper than dining out, too. Put the money you save towards holiday fun and you time. And thanks to Factor's commitment to ingredients with integrity, you can enjoy flavorful, chef-crafted meals guilt-free. When things get hectic during the holidays, Factor is flexible. Change your order up every week with plans from 4 to 18 meals per week or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor's no prep, no mess meals save me so much time on planning and cleanup. So now we all get to fully enjoy the holidays without wasting hours in the kitchen. Head to go.factor75.com slash creepy60 and use code creepy60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code creepy60 at go.factor75.com slash creepy60 to get 60% off your first box. An often prominent and less talked about form of abuse experienced in quiverful families is the parentification of the children, specifically the elder daughters. Because the daughters are trained from a young age that their role in the family is to be the caretaker, older siblings are expected to help with the raising of their younger siblings, often robbing them of their own childhoods. Studies have shown that young children that are parentified often experience stress, anxiety, and depression, sometimes manifesting as physical symptoms as well as emotional. They often struggle in school or social situations and suffer from self-blame and guilt. With teenagers, parentification can lead to the inability for them to be able to connect to their own feelings. According to Healthline, A parentified child learns to ignore their own feelings. They figure out that if they want to feel close to their parent, they have to take over adult tasks. By putting the parent's needs above their own, a teen loses the ability to put their feelings into words. Sadly, this often leads to self-harm and substance abuse. And this is what happens in these families is... And this 
I mean, Kim Plath straight up says in the show, the first three kids were the hardest. But or actually, I believe it wasn't the Plath. It was um, another family on the actual Quiverful uh, website, and all of those videos are, of course, pro their movement. So. Everything looks all hunky-dory and, like, everybody's there because they want to be. But the mom says after the the, thir- the first three were the hardest, and that's what most people with big families say is the first three kids are the hardest. But by that fourth, the first one was five years old. So now I've got a helper. She's five years old. That's Ella's age. You don't have a helper. You have a child who needs attention yes. and love and development. She might be able pace. to go get me a diaper here and there, but I'm not being like Ella – I need to uh, take a shower so you're in charge of watching baby brother and making sure he doesn't get into anything. That's ludicrous I would leave her. First of all, that's dangerous. But also that's not responsibility that a child that young should have put on them. And it's it leads to just problem after problem all the way into their adulthood when that kind of stuff is thrust on them at such a young age. And it's not accidental what you're talking about. They use the phrase training the children and they believe they are training these little girls to be subservient, submissive wives and moms someday. So they think they're doing them a huge favor. There's a mm-hmm. Al Jazeera America report with one of the families. I think they're the Flanders family in Tyler, Texas. And the 12 year old girls like cooking dinner and it's like I am and, and has been conditioned to say I am preparing for my future husband. It's like, mm. you're fucking 12, kid, man. Gross. Think about, go run outside and play color. Go write a story. Go do gymnastics. Yeah. But she's like stirring macaroni and making a big-ass meal for all these other kids going, I am being trained for my future husband. This is what I am to do. And so you're what you're doing is abusing them by parentification, but then telling them, that's actually what, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gaslighting them also. Yeah. The, um, the plas in one of them, the mom and dad go out of town for their anniversary. And so they're leaving all the kids at the farm. And, you know, the older ones are 17, 18, so whatever. But the one that they say is really the one they look to to make sure everything goes smoothly is 15 years old. And she is such a sweet kid. And she's her mom's showing her this list of things to do. She's like, you don't have to do all of these. You can delegate them. But it's like, Make sure such and such does their homework. Make sure all of this is clean. Uh, Water all the plants. I mean, some of these things are like, okay, sure. You want to give kids responsibility because it gives them a sense of importance and, you know, teaching them how to be responsible for stuff. But making sure that all of your siblings are are bathed and taken care of at the end of the day and that they've all done their homework and basically being a mom at 15 years old. Yeah. That's not something you should have to do. No, and and imagine, especially given the what we know about parentification and the the dangers of that, the amount of stress, anxiety of like I have to get everything on the list done. Yeah, or, or God, and it's not even just mom and dad will be upset with me, but then it's by extension under the umbrella, God, God hates me, which is worse than anything. Yes, you've been taught. Yes. Unsurprisingly, adults that were parentified as children have their own set of challenges. Healthline reports that. A parentified child may have challenges trusting others and prefer to be self-reliant. They may engage in unhealthy relationships and assume a caregiving role even when they don't want to because this is the role they know how to play. They may worry about being abandoned. Quivering Daughters is a blog that offers gentle encouragement for women while addressing emotional and spiritual abuse within authoritarian families. 
One former follower shared journal entry from when she was just 14 years old and being raised in a quiverful family. I'm having a bad day today. I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of working. There's always something that needs to be done and dad is never satisfied. I'm tired of being overwhelmed with everything. I'm tired of washing dishes every night. I wish that the house would stay clean for two to three days. The kids are always cutting at paper, getting out toys, splashing water all over the bathroom sink, getting mud and sand all over the bathroom floor. I'm tired of doing laundry. There are mountains of it daily, and I'm tired of putting clothes away. I'm tired of people not doing their jobs. I'm tired of my brothers arguing and endless supply of unnecessary words, though he is sweet a lot and has been a lot today. My sister's constant fits and defiance and screaming. I'm tired of getting mad at my brothers and sisters. I wish I were perfect. I absolutely abhor the thought that every idle word will be judged. Lately, I've been doing some self-analyzing or examining. I'm trash. I'm sick of disappointing God. 14 years old. This reads like something a, a grown woman that's a mom of, you know, five kids and is just, I mean, I relate to these things. Yeah. You know what? I mean, like, no 14-year-old should have all of this on their plate. And you also have access to uh, mental health resources that yeah. when you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and you have adapted over the over your adulthood to understand, oh, when I feel stressed, I do this. Not as a teenager, we are already sort of turned towards self-loathing that the answer to stress is I'm trash Gosh. and God hates me. Yeah. That's horrifying. It's and that's, so sad. You hear that and you that is not uh, out of the realm of possibility that a child would turn to self-harm, abuse, oh, yeah. or dysfunctional future relationships. For sure. Former follower of the movement, Vicki Garrison, started the website No Longer Quivering that describes itself as a place for women escaping and recovering from spiritual abuse. Garrison left the movement in 2008 after nearly dying during the birth of her seventh child. For years, Garrison had been aware she suffered from a rare bone condition that made her a high-risk pregnancy. Despite this, Garrison and her husband continued to expand their family, even having the vasectomy her husband had after their third child reversed. Garrison knew the potentially deadly risk associated with each birth, but felt that the tenets of her religion would protect her, writing on her blog, I really believe that I wouldn't die unless God willed that I die, and if he did, then I would accept that, because obviously he's the smart one and has this big picture and knows the whole plan. Garrison said that she was taught that dying during childbirth was noble. Today, Garrison provides a safe space for other women to share their stories. And that's, you hear that over and over again of like, it was a hard pregnancy. There's no time to recover. I mean, sometimes no. people will come here and there, but um, Emily Hunter McGowan was like, well, what do you do when you have a kid and you have to teach other kids? And that's when the lady's like, sometimes they don't get their lessons. Or you because have uh, one of the other kids teach them, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean... Michelle Duggar, my God, that woman must have been constantly pregnant for 20 plus years. Yeah, they basically say it's like around one a year. Um, that and just isn't good for your body. Your body needs time to recover. And the more I think I read something that um, studies show that after six kids, maybe like your chance for hemorrhaging and stuff increases a lot. And then when you know that you already have a condition that puts you at high risk, but you're willing to roll the dice each time. How stressful, 
how much stress does that add on top of already physical exhaustion, hormone, ex- you're taking care of other kids, your your body is not your own anymore, but then you're like, oh, so I could die. And then you keep doing it. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, I think she says it right there. Oh, God, it's God's will. Mm-hmm. And they say that it's like, God has opened your womb. And the Flanders family in that Al Jazeera report, the woman was like, I want to say she was about 45. And she's like, well, we haven't had a kid in five years, but we're still trying. But I think, I think God might have closed the door. And you say, is, you know, at what point is she going to, they're going to keep doing this? She starts crying and she's like, I just, I can't believe I'm not going to have another kid. And that's, you're like whole cloth bought into this. And mm-hmm. if you are that whole cloth bought into you're willing to, you're willing to die. And the McGowan said, all these families, they're like one crisis away from just like bankruptcy. Yeah. They have yeah. no savings. They have no financial support. The 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 one I was talking about that um, is on the Quiverful website where um, she was saying the third kid was the hardest. They're very open about they did not have the funds to do it and that – they weren't sure what they were going to do. They kept having children but couldn't afford them. But they kept thinking, well, if God will find a way if if we have this and tell a story about how they didn't have money to pay their bills and then they prayed about it. And a few hours later, they got a call from their church that somebody had donated a bunch of money and then a friend of theirs donated a chicken coop for them to live in. So they, it was very big. So they renovated this and people from their church would, you know, give them, they had extra tile or extra flooring or something that they would give it to them or extra clothes. So it, I mean, their community came together to help them. But in the comments of this video, other people were saying, it's not fair to these kids to continue bringing them into the world when you know good and well that you don't have the money to give them what they need. And, and you're just rolling the dice saying, we're putting it in God's hands. 100%. And you're, it's interesting to see the reaction that you hear from conservative politicians, especially regarding things like social safety nets, welfare, and frequently it is targeted toward black and brown communities and saying the term welfare queen rose to prominence in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And what you see here is like a bunch of people having a bunch of kids again. And in fact, I believe it's statistically by a landslide white people use welfare more than any other race. But you hear these like racist dog whistles. So it's like when we're doing it, we're populating the Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And when they're doing it, they're welfare babies. So yeah. you just also see, again, it's this sort of hypocrisy and this division of rules for me, but not for rules for thee, but not for me. Or it's also... Well, it's okay because this was my community. These are fellow churchgoers that gave me this, not the government. I'm not looking for a government handout. Whoever is giving it to you, you need help. Yeah. So you can't fault any, you know, I mean, if you can't judge others for needing that, if you also are in the same position. Yeah. The view, yeah. You're at the mercy of the generosity of others. Mm-hmm. In 2022, the Netflix documentary, Our Father followed an Indiana fertility doctor and suspected quiverful adherent, Dr. Donald Klein. Using family trees, several people whose parents utilized Dr. Klein's services determined there was a genetic connection between them and the doctor who helped bring them into the world. Once the investigation was complete, it was revealed that at least between 1972 and 1988, Dr. Klein used his own sperm to inseminate certain women who came to his office. As of 2022, 94 siblings have been identified, being born as late as 1988. 
However, Klein practiced until 2009, so the real number remains unknown. This documentary is so disgusting. Yeah. He's... It's, uh, if you haven't watched it, I highly encourage you to. I had put it off for a long time because I knew it was going to be troubling and unsettling. And then we decided to cover this, so I finally bit the bullet. This man, fuck him every way to Sunday. Oh, yeah. The worst. The absolute worst. Just this God complex authority. He's the absolute authority. And uh, zero remorse, except for oh, yeah. very remorseful about being caught. Did yeah. not think in the 1970s a DNA test would be a thing. He's mm-hmm. like, eh, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. During their investigation, the siblings discovered a connection to the Corvifal movement in an email chain from a state official when trying to report Klein. The siblings hypothesized that Klein was a follower, as he kept decorations in his office emblazoned with one of the quiverful Bible verses. He has not confirmed this allegation. Despite Klein not publicly supporting the quiverful movement, many of the siblings he fathered feel confident his religious beliefs significantly contributed to his disgusting actions. Almost all of the siblings are white with blonde hair and blue eyes. Jacoba Ballard, one of the more outspoken siblings, told documentarians that the physical traits shared between her and her half-siblings are undeniable. It's almost like we're this perfect Aryan clan. It's disgusting to sit there and lay in bed at night wondering if the person that created you is some racist bigot. You put their pictures all up on the wall. They do look like they'd be headed off to a Hitler youth camp. I mean, yeah. perfect. I mean, you... you the proof is right there. Like you, it's not, we're not like making any of this up. And the women that sought out his help because of fertility issues would go to his office. Sometimes their husbands would be present. Sometimes the husband would provide their own sample that they then assumed was going to be inserted into their wife. So they would have a biological child together. Other times, The sample was supposedly being collected from medical students who were, at the time, like sperm banks and stuff, weren't a thing. You had uh, a handful of people in the medical community that were willing to do this. They said you had like a a book you flipped through. That's Mm -hmm. how little donors there were. And you could be like, oh, well, I like this one's qualities. And you would pick one out. That's not what was happening. These women would go into the room. Get undressed like we all have to do at the OBGYN, get up on that table, put their legs up in that stirrups. Meanwhile, their OBGYN is jerking off in the room next to them into a cup, putting his own sperm into that syringe, and then coming into the room, still riding that high of just having ejaculated and touching them and putting this needle inside of them to impregnate them with his sperm. It's uh, beyond the pale. And and the documentary does a great job of kind of showing you what his office looks like and to mm-hmm. see these biblical passages, you know, around his office and his, you know, he was well-respected in the church and everything. And to know that that was happening, one woman just said, I was raped 15 times. Yeah, she went there 15 times to try and have a baby. And these women are at their most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. not only just because you're naked in a doctor's office on a cold table, but you're also trying to get pregnant. Something Mm -hmm. that 
is so, so many women try for so long. For some, it never happens. It's such a journey and a painful journey. And then you find out once your kid is now an adult and they've done some research of their own and figured all this out that, oh, you mean my husband is not the biological father of our child? And then as the child, you realize my dad isn't my biological dad. I mean, it's a complete mindfuck. And so many of the siblings that were interviewed talk about that they, when they found out, lost their identity. They didn't know who they were anymore. It made them question everything growing up. And they're in counseling. They're still broken by this. Jacoba has made it her life's mission to uh, unearth every sibling that has been affected by this they all now are connected on ancestry websites and stuff and she said every time it goes off that there's been another match my stomach drops because what if it's somebody i've dated what if it's somebody i've married i mean they all live within like a 15 mile radius of each other and that's why when which i never thought about this but it makes sense the women that were looking for Dr. Klein's help were told specimens are never used more than three times because we don't want a bunch of people that could potentially be related living in the same area mm-hmm. and therefore meeting up, having kids of their own, etc. Well, there's almost 100 confirmed yeah. that are living very close. And they all said, you have to Google everybody that you meet because you could be related to them. And she was saying one of the kids in her swim class turns out they were cousins. Like that was their, yeah. they were related. You know, they were one of the kids as well. And you're right. They call it consanguinity issues. You don't want to have, yeah. you just think it's a rando on the street and you hook up with them. Yeah. There's yeah. A, tons of tons and tons of implications here. And uh, Dr. Klein didn't give a fuck about any of those. No. And also he um, had known health problems. Yes, and he did. wouldn't have even past the requirements to be a donor if he Mm -hmm. was going about it the right way because he had an autoimmune deficiency and and some other things. And now several of the siblings struggle with that, the same health problems that had the sperm that their mom had wanted inseminated, been inseminated, then that might not even be a problem. Yeah, he definitely uh, crossed so many medical and what I would, medical, ethical, and I think legal boundaries, but... It's disgusting. Yeah. Because of the wording of laws and statutes of limitations, Klein was not charged criminally for the fraudulent insemination. He lied to the attorney general's office during the course of its investigation. So Klein was convicted on felony obstruction of justice charges and fined just $500. However, Fox 59 investigators uncovered that the disgraced doctor likely paid over $1.3 million in civil settlements with a portion covered by his medical malpractice insurance. In 2019, a law was passed in Indiana finally making what Dr. Klein did illegal in the eyes of the law. The new Civil Fertility Fraud Statute also extended the statute of limitations on civil cases to 10 years after the child's 18th birthday, or 20 years after the date of the procedure. Dr. Klein remains free and active in his community. According to CNET, He's going to grandchildren's swim meets and things like that. There's no hiding. He is completely unremorseful. In the documentary, uh-uh. It's there are recorded phone calls between he and Jacoba where he is telling her, if you 
let this get out to Fox 59. If they're they've they've contacted me saying they're going to break this story and if this happens, my marriage is is ruined. I'm never going to recover from this. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. I'm I don't who gives fucking... a shit. You shouldn't recover from this. Your wife should know about all of this. Yes. He had four children of his own with her. Yes. None of them knew what was going on as as far as we know, and he has the audacity to go after the siblings and act like they're the villains here and that he is some kind of victim fuck off forever yeah he's a nightmare and showing up to meetings with guns putting them on the table being like well i do have a gun with me what did you want to discuss in this restaurant as he's talking to a journalist just trying to flex just trying to intimidate went after had some one of the siblings computers was hacked into Mm -hmm. and all of her correspondences with him was mysteriously deleted some other things happened that there's no proof that he was behind it but i mean the writing's on the wall yeah i mean he so, uh, there was retribution for their mm-hmm. uh pursuing the truth in this matter and he told the journalist he doesn't consider he, he admitted to some of them mm-hmm. in court he did admit that he doesn't admit to all of them but he said i only did it when the woman uh there was she was i felt like she was desperate for a baby and this was the only way it was going to happen first of all bullshit second of all if that's really how you feel, then you say to your patient, listen, if you really I, – I, I can provide a sample. We don't have anybody else. Are you okay with that? And then they have the right to say yes or no. But all of the moms that were interviewed were like, no, I would have said no if, if he had asked if he could do that. Yeah. It's a conflict of interest. It's disgusting. You don't want to think about your doctor jerking off in the next room and then coming back and looking at all your parts. And sweating and and putting his Gross. own sperm in you. And also, if he said, by the way, you know, I'm a 60-year-old man. I have rheumatoid arthritis. Right. I have autoimmune flare-ups. My family has a history of this. Anyway, do you want my seed? They'd be like, fuck no. No. Ew. Nobody Ew. does. And then, you know, his own daughter ends up being one of his oh, patients. Oh, God. She has been examined vaginally by the man who was technically her biological father. It, uh... Oh. As an adult, she had no yeah. idea. She was just going to the same OBGYN her mom had gone to. He knows. He see. He knows when she walks in, this is my biological daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm now going to give her a breast and vaginal exam. Had been to the parent's house when she was, what, six or eight months old? Yeah, Held her up picture. in the photo. Yeah. So it's not like, well, I did it, so I jerked off so much. God knows how many kids are out there. It's like, no, you took a photo with that one. At the very least, you knew who that was. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah. So, and just so no gross. But the word he used was sparingly. And then you look at the photos and I said, yeah, I bet you were pretty choosy. If they were blonde hair and blue eyed, you know, mm. that's who you went for. Yeah. Many of the siblings Klein fathered have struggled with their mental health and the ability to find inner peace since discovering the truth behind their conception. Jacoba told documentarians of Our Father that one of the biggest questions that continues to weigh on her is the why behind Klein's actions. What made him every day wake up and decide to go to his work, masturbate, and place it unknowingly inside women without their consent? He could have stopped at any point. But he kept doing it over and over and over. I have a hypothesis of when he stopped. 1988, rise of DNA testing. That's like 1986, I think, is the first case that DNA was used where you could like test people. And, you know, you're in the medical community. You're giving speeches. You're hearing news. And they're like, by the way, you know, based on someone's come, we can tell who it is. And he's like, what now? Yeah. We can tell what now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So interesting that 1988's the last sibling that's been found so far. Yeah, but he was still practicing to 2009. I find it hard to believe that he totally stopped yeah. at 88. He may have slowed down because I do think there's a lot of truth or a lot. You make a very good point. My hypothesis as to the why, well, I think there's several reasons. He's a narcissist, an egomaniac. He um, was playing God. He got off on it. He was involved in this movement and was literally trying to put forth an, an army of his of God's children out into the world. He told the journalists, I don't consider them my children. Mm-mm. So then... And and I'm sure most donors wouldn't. Yeah. But he he was doing it without any kind of consent. And I really believe that there's something to be said for the email they found. I think based on even if he wasn't, uh, you know, openly in the quiverful movement, he definitely adhered to a lot of the tenants. I mean, the stuff in his office, there's all the same sayings. He was a very religious man. And if he thinks, wow. I can I can really do something about this. I can really make God's army. These are all nice white European Christian looking women and we can really do a lot of good with this. And then I think you tell yourself you're doing the Lord's work so you can sleep at night. Absolutely. And he was going to be a surgeon, but he had those hand issues and so then he turned to becoming, you know, obstetrics and I wonder too if then you say, "Oh, well, this was God's plan for me. That's uh-huh. why I'm not a surgeon. It was yep. so that I could do this. And once you get away with it, I bet it's a thrill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You absolve yourself of responsibility because you place the onus on on God. You're saying, mm-hmm. well, I, I can't be held responsible. All of this is, is God's doing. The trial is disgusting. And the judge that oversaw it, fuck off. Yes. They, at one point, she gets choked up and is like, you are a pillar of this community, and I know that they're asking for time served, but the court will not be ordering that because you have done so much good, and I hope that you can find peace. Who is the victim here? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, real weird. Real weird. Also real weird that like a bunch of times Jacoba reached out to someone who should give a real big shit, the attorney general's office, that yeah. some guy is coming in a bunch of people without their consent and there's like an email chain with all these people that are like i don't know maybe we'll see i mean the da's hands were kind of tied as far as being able to prosecute these Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you know the the law has changed but yeah it's very suspicious this patriarchal notion of like well he is a noble doctor that did good things no he is a sex predator who wasn't convicted due to a statute of limitations he is a fucking awful piece of shit sex predator and if you live in indiana and you see dr donald klein on the street give him a big fuck you from me yeah same also if you live in indiana and you are the product of your mom going to see him for fertility problems you might want to do a DNA test. Just Ancestry.com. Jacoba's great. She'll shepherd you through it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's heartbreaking when she said a new when a new one pops in, I know I'm about to ruin their life. Like, I yeah. feel awful. Yeah. She sends a message saying, you're probably wondering why you have all these hits of about siblings. Um, whenever you're ready, reach out to me and I'll fill you in. Yeah. And then they learn a lot of shit. Ginger Duggar Vuolo, who was on the TLC show with her family from ages 9 to 27, is releasing a tell-all book in January of 2023 called Becoming Free Indeed. 
The book will describe what it was like living under the tenets of Bill Gothard's basic life principles and how she managed to break free from what she calls the harmful ideology. Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar were once vocal proponents of Gothard's ministry, even appearing in promotional videos for his seminars. However, in the wake of sexual abuse allegations against both their son and former religious leader, their support seems to be waning. Calvin University history professor Kobe Dume told NBC News that the IBLP way of evangelizing is waning in general, with people's interest in attending week-long in-person events being replaced in favor of watching streaming services in their homes or following Christian influencers on social media. Above Rubies and Meet for Men continue posting their patriarchal and political messages on social media almost daily. IPLP's entire basic seminar and accompanying materials are online for free. Yeah, I mean, uh, IBLP lost tons of money because it was it made public like millions and millions of dollars they lost, especially in the wake of the sex scandal. But their reach hasn't if it's people are still buying training materials from them and more insidiously above rubies and meet for men. They have their followers. Uh, again, it's pretty abhorrent uh, selfies going to the insurrection, things like that, posting <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of like, but so people still follow that. But now you're seeing these like more insidious, less obvious Pinteresty moms mm-hmm. on Instagram who maybe were raised in it, but they have like kind of left, but not really. Mm-hmm. But it's still these like hints of what was in there. And it's my husband and I are equals. We love each other, but he does get the last vote and yours should too. You know, where you're like, oh, you're still pushing the same yeah. bullshit. Mm-hmm. You're just also like uh, doing sponsored posts with Walmart or whatever. Yeah, it's just wrapped in a different package. Baylor University history professor Beth Allison Barr told NBC of the dangers of a patriarchal Christian movement like Quiverful and how it is ripe for abuse by men like Josh Duggar and Bill Gothard, saying... As a man, they have more authority than women, their voice counts more, and women have this propensity to be valued more for their sexual role, so it allows abuse to flourish. Although the Duggar shows have been canceled, several other shows featuring conservative Christian families who follow the movement are still airing. However, Bringing Up Bates has been canceled after racist videos of the family mocking George Floyd's death surfaced. Meanwhile, Welcome to Plathville's fate remains unknown as mom Kim was arrested for a DUI in October of 2022. Yeah, going through all this quiverful stuff, you're like, oh, there's a lot of TV shows. Where are they now? Canceled. Where are they now? Canceled. Canceled due to scandal. Canceled. The Bringing Up Bates video is super gross. They're playing charades and the I guess the word was hunting. It's like one of the kids posted on their social media and the one kid lays on the ground like he's injured and the other kid's like above him and they're like, it's George Floyd. And they all get this huge laugh. It's mm. very fucking disgusting. The network that canceled him said that it was a change in uh, direction of the, you know, they didn't I say it was because of this video. We are canceling them, but interesting timing. And then, yeah, welcome to Plathville. Everybody keeps Googling and like searching online, like when will season five be announced? When will season five? But the mom, Michelle, had a drunk driving incident in June 2022 and then finally turned herself into authorities in October of 2022 where she had flipped the car. I believe injuries were reported. I don't know if it was to her or to someone else. And so she and the dad are separated. So that whole family, it's almost like if you get a reality show, your life sort of collapses. I told you if the quiverful movement doesn't destroy you, then TLC or a reality show will. I watched one of the Plathville clips where Kim is meeting 
one of the older sons at a bar for a drink. And the son is like, cheers to our first drink together. And it cuts to her, you know, talking to the interviewers. And she says, Barry doesn't really know that I ever drink. You know, we don't support that. He So he probably doesn't know that every now and then I'll, I'll have a drink. Well, if that's the case, I bet he was very surprised when she got a DUI. Yeah, and then the cops ask her. I think her blood alcohol was like 1.62 or something like Ooh. that. Ooh. And they said, well, have you been drinking? And she said, oh, I had two 12-ounce margaritas. And then later on, she said, no, 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 I haven't been drinking anything. But, I mean, they did a, you know, they do a blood dryer Mm -hmm. post. So it's, I think it's kind of sad how the machine eats these families up. And the kids really are the ones that suffer because, you know, the parents are desperate. It was the Bates family. In fact, I saw on a, like an ABC News special in 2011, I found an old clip of them just talking about their lives, talking about how happy they are. And they said, we would never do a reality show. We would never want to do that. But boy, those bills get a lot. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you sign in on to stuff and you can't necessarily keep the shit secret that you want to keep, like overt racism, for instance. Yeah. Disgustingly, though, I found this article about you know how I'd been canceled. The comments were like, they are such a good, godly Christian family. This is just the woke left trying to quash like the happy, joyous Christian family. I'm like, well, they all kind of were in a room together. I mean, it was a shitload of them laughing at a man who was murdered. Mm -hmm. So So. I don't think it's like out of the realm to say maybe we don't want them on TV. And you know what? It's their own network and UPTV or whoever can cancel whatever they want to cancel. Here's my question about the network. And, and and these shows, why are there so many of them? Why don't we see a show about, um, you know, Jewish families and how they raise their kids, uh, an atheist family that chose to have just a couple kids and how they raise it? It's Is it the unusualness of it that appeals to people? They can't imagine life with that many kids, so they want to kind of get, you know, this voyeuristic view of it. Is it uh, an agenda that's consciously or subconsciously trying to be pushed where this is more normalized and people see this and then there are comments like, no, there's such a godly family. And OK, but why do we all need to watch this godly family and, and how they raise their family? You know what I mean? It's just it seems exploitive. Well, I always thought of it as like Turd Ferguson said, it's like a big hat. It's funny. It's bigger than a normal hat. Like it's a <laughs> it's like interesting, right? It's big. Yeah, it's weird. sure. Yeah, they show their closets and fifteen washer and dryer, and you just go, "Well, I guess my life's not that shitty. I've only got three kids <laughs> that I've got." But to then around. you find out, oh, why do they have so many kids? Oh, gosh. Well, that you part is the part they leave out conveniently yes. of all of these shows. Yes. So you start to go, well, I'll follow them on social media. Mm-hmm. I like them. And it does become insidious because then they're being used as mouthpieces for Vision Forum Ministries, which, again, the leader was keeping his teenage sex slave. And they that Vision Forum Ministries was publishing uh, Nancy Campbell's book. The Vision Forum Ministries was giving Michelle Duggar this uh, Mom of the Year award. So you have these people that can become these figureheads who then draw the masses in and then with the hopes of, I think, furthering the cause that the elites, because I think when you go from being, well, we're just the Duggar family, we live in a barn together, to <laughs> then being like put on television, put on, you know, the the stage in front of thousands and thousands of people at these conferences, 
you then become the elite. So then you're now part of True. pushing and you probably do know the the truth behind it. So I don't know. It's sad because I think the machine, it's just a big machine that's eating kids. That's just, yeah. that's, it's so sad. And the kids are a hundred percent the, yeah. the biggest victims here. For those unwillingly subjected to the Corvifal movement, there are resources to help. The Safe Passage Foundation is a not-for-profit 501c3 tax-exempt organization that provides resources, support, and advocacy for people raised in restrictive, isolated, or high-demand communities, colloquially referred to as cults. In addition to scholarships and travel funds, the organization also has an emergency aid fund to provide emergency assistance to those who need immediate help. Learn more and donate at safepassagefoundation.org. So what do we think? I think y'all got what we thought peppered throughout. Yeah, I feel like this is a two-hour episode, so we've definitely <laughs> talked we told about you what we think. And yeah, what we like think. It's um to sum it all up. I find that this movement is harmful in the uh, pillars upon which it is built and the messages it teaches to uh, women, children, and men. You know, I mean, no, I don't I don't agree personally with any of the messages that are being uh, taught there. And I think they're very dangerous and problematic. And when you zoom out and look at the big picture as to why was all this started in the first place and you start get into, oh, it's eugenics, then it becomes a whole other ball of wax. Absolutely. And I think that it just teaches you to question whatever you're spoon fed, whether it's a kid, mm -hmm. adult, whatever. And a lot of these people, I think, are not questioning it. And when you draw back, if you want a, a good summary of it, um, Emily Hunter McGowan does at the beginning of her book where she just traces it back to the Victorian era and about, you know, gender roles in the home and yada, yada. But then when it starts to get up to like the 20s and 30s, you start to see, I mean, this is a person that inspired Hitler, who also inspired this person, who then inspired Bill Gothard, who then inspired. So I think it's important to question, like, wait, where did this idea come from? Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you it's not... Uh, if it has to do with stuff like this, of purification and multiplication and things like that, it ain't rooted in the Bible, y'all. It's mm -hmm. rooted in uh, something much nasty, something nasty. Sinister. Yeah. It's important to ask those questions, and it's also important to allow those questions to be asked yeah. and not shove your own beliefs down your kids' throats and uh, disown them if they don't want to follow them. And I think uh, Beth Allison Barr is absolutely correct that this patriarchal structure is uh, designed for predators to just prey for sure. on kids. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those that are ruling the airwaves and getting into it tiers, special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus minisode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons that are getting into it tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month they would like to see live-streamed. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. 
For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Now's the time to holiday shop some of that stuff and put it on those you love. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood and follow us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? Twitter at MCK versus the world and TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Lily Dunton. Elise Blevins. Catherine Coker. Jenna Nichols. Amy Bogard. Lilith. Kathleen Kelly, Ian, Kyra Dye, Mary Tennyson, Stacy, and Bree Holland. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. We could not do this without you and sincerely appreciate all the love and support. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Wah-ha! Sinister.